Welcome to another edition of Talking Wild Madness. This is Adam. I think we're up to episode 14. And today we are on the banks of the Calgon River in Albany, in, in Western Australia, which is on the south coast of Western Australia. And apparently the Calgon River, if you believe the, uh, if you believe the pamphlets in the tourist office, which I have half a mind to do, they apparently say that the Calgon River is the oldest river on earth. Now, I'm not, I'm, I have no idea how they come to that conclusion. Uh, I, I, I just don't understand that. I don't, under, I don't understand. And I think, I don't even know what question to ask for them to prove it. And that's when you really know that you're in the dark of, with things. When you're so ignorant of something, you don't even know. You don't even know how to approach a solution. And there appears to be. There appears to be. A oh, there's like a there's a school there's a collection of school kids, on canoes out in the middle of the river. And they're all in orange canoes. There's two people to a canoe. And they've got yellow oars. And the water looks very blue. I'm not sure what flag that looks like. Maybe Mexican? Maybe Mexican flag. There's actually there's a, there's a really good bridge that goes over the Calgon River. And underneath uh, they have built these platforms where you can you can sit under the bridge like a troll from from a Grimm's fairy tale and you can fish from the oldest river on earth you can you can fish and every now and then a car goes over over the top not very often there's a car just went over there now not but not very often and you can get here early in the morning and it's insanely peaceful insanely peaceful and even if it's raining a little bit you're sheltered because you're under the bridge and then the Calgon River although it's fairly I mean we're close ish to the coast but it's always fairly calm fairly relaxed and particularly in the early morning it can be it can be almost like glass with a little bit of fine rain on it and then you the last time I was here, I sat down, I had I had a plastic bucket upside down that I was sitting on, and I was, I was going to fill that with, with all the fish that I was going to catch. And I was here about six in the morning, and I was listening to a audio book, a Malcolm X audio book called The Life of Transformation. I think it was called The Life of Transformation, or A Life of Transformation. Because Brother Malcolm, Brother Malcolm had quite a few different incarnations of himself throughout his lifetime, which included street hustler, prisoner, Nation of Islam advocate to uh, kind of a reformed Muslim, uh, still still an activist, and it was it was quite. The contrast of sitting on the oldest river in the world 
fishing at six in the morning, listening to an audiobook of Malcolm X. It was quite surreal, but kind of fitting at the same time. Kind of fitting at the same time. And the man, I, I don't know who, my favorite audiobook reader ever is Richard Poe. And he read, uh, I think I might have mentioned this before, he read a episode, not an episode, he read the whole audiobook of Cormac McCarthy's Blood Meridian. And it's, it's, incre- it's perfect the way he reads it. His voice is just absolutely perfectly suited to it. And whoever was reading this Malcolm X biography, no, biography, whoever was reading did an amazing job. And he had one of the, he had, it was, um, it was was an African-American, a black man reading. And he had one of those, it wasn't quite a Morgan Freeman voice. It was a little bit more, uh, it was a little bit more thin, uh, but it was very potent at the same time. It was, it was very, very good. And it was quite soothing to sit there. And I'd been listening to this, obviously, I'd been listening to this audiobook for quite some time. But it was quite interesting to sit by that river in that early morning, the oldest river in the world. And when you're, when you're at that spot, you're fishing for two types of fish. You're fishing for brim. And they have to be... 25 centimeters long or they have to be in what's that what's that in american for our american audience uh that is about is it 10 inches i think it's 10 inches exactly actually otherwise you have to throw them back in because apparently they only grow an inch every year so if you're if you pull out a 25 centimeter fish sorry they grow a centimeter a year and if you grow if you pull out a fish that's 25 centimeters. He's 25 years old. So that's an old fish, man. That is an old fish. So it's kind of it's 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 fitting that there's an old fish in an old river, and then you get to listen to get to listen to audiobooks about Malcolm X. And the other fish is the leather jacket. The leather jacket's a gnarly, very it's a, well as the name suggests, it has skin like leather. And it has this vicious spear sticking out the top of its head. And uh, anyone who who tells you about it warns you not to not to let that spike touch you. Otherwise you're in all sorts of agony. And they have this really strange interlocking bone structure. When you do get the leather, when you catch the leather jacket and then you take it home and you, you have to obviously skin the leather off the leather jacket which I learned how to do by watching an Italian man in Melbourne do it on YouTube, which I thought was remarkable at the time. This was a few years ago. And there was a man, there was, was a fat Italian, Australian Italian man sitting in his kitchen. It looked like a nice kitchen too, I have to say. Um, and he was sitting there, uh, it was like an oak table and it was one of those kitchens that was covered, everything was oak. All the, all the cupboards and the drawers were oak and he had some nice windows and he was sitting there in his tank top and he had newspaper spread out on the table and he had a couple of leather jackets that he just caught and out of the goodness of his Italian heart he decided he was going to make a YouTube video in case anybody else wanted to know how to uh, 
how to skin these leather jacket fish. There is a car that just passed over the bridge that looks like John Steinbeck's Rockin' Ante. Is that how you pronounce it? Rockin' Ante? I just read Travels with Charlie, which was, I think, his last book, and it's him as a 70-year-old man driving around 1960s America with his dog, Charlie. It's a very, it's a, it's a nice light read. And, uh, yeah, I think the ghost of, of John Steinbeck just rattled over the old Calgon River. So once you get the skin off the leather jackets, they have these very bizarre skeleton and they're all, they're like interlocking combs combs as in you what you comb your hair with and it's this bizarre jigsaw of combs that are interlocked into each other and you pull some of them out forwards you pull some of them out sideways very very bizarre fish amazing creature very nice to eat very very nice to eat but i was here under this bridge an army truck just went over the bridge. What is going on? Very fascinating. Kids in the river, John Steinbeck's ghost, then the army truck. I, I, was, I was under this bridge. Actually, it was longer than three years ago. It was probably four or five years ago. And I came here early in the morning. And at this time, I was still married. I'm not married anymore. But at this time, I was married, and I came to fish in the river because we just moved down to Albany from Perth. And I came to fish in the river in the early morning, and it was absolutely wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful. And as I was sitting there, I was there for maybe half an hour, this car pulled up next to the river, this, this shitty little red hatchback like a Ford laser or a Toyota laser or whoever makes the whoever makes the shitty red lasers, one of those cars pulled up to the river. And I'm I've got half an eye on the on the on the shitty red laser and half an eye on on the oldest river in the world looking for leather jackets and twenty five year old brim. And out of the car steps this beautiful gorgeous young woman maybe 22 years old 23 years old and she starts walking towards where i am under the bridge sitting there like a troll and in australia they have these they have this month and they might actually have it all over the world i don't know but they have this month called uh, movember where you grow a moustache if you don't have one and then you get sponsored to wear that moustache for a month. Or if you have a moustache, you shave it off and you get sponsored for shaving your moustache off for a month. And then you raise money for, uh, I think it's, is it testicular cancer or prostate cancer? Some form of male cancer. And I, it was Movember, so I was growing a moustache even though I didn't have any sponsors. I didn't look for any sponsors. I just thought I'd grow a moustache in support of the other people, in support of the other people who were, who were growing moustaches. I just thought, I'll grow a moustache. 
Now, the problem that I have when I grow a moustache, some people look good with moustaches. Not many people, I have to say. I don't think many people look good with moustaches. Some people really look good with moustaches, but those people, they're very, very few and far between. They're, they're, like, uh, they're like people who are really good at reading maps, you know. There's just, there's just not that many around. All the kids have just gotten out of the water in the middle of the moustache story. But when I grow a moustache, I kind of look a little bit like a pedophile. Like that classic uh, stereotype, caricature, odd-looking fella who should know better than to grow a moustache. Who should know better than to predatorily stalk uh, young children for sex. So I was sitting under the bridge like a troll, sitting on a plastic bucket, listening to a Malcolm X audiobook with a pedophile moustache. And then there's this... 22-year-old goddess is walking towards me. And it's about 6.30 in the morning, and it's cold. It's a glassy river. And she comes, and she gets closer, and she gets closer, and then she sits down right next to me. And she's got a, uh, a quarter bottle of Bacardi rum in her hand in one of those one of those bottles that you buy in the airport they hold about 200 250 mils of booze so not the tiny tiny ones you get in the bar fridge the ones that are about the size of your hand and there was a little bit of, of white rum and she'd been up all night she'd been up all night gallivanting drinking white rum and who knows what else and she came and sat down next to me and started talking. And she started to compliment me. She started to compliment my clothes that I was wearing. I'm just going to roll this window up because we're getting some flies. And then she started to compliment my moustache. And then she started to run her hand over my forearm. Now, I was, I was married at the time. And uh, thankfully, we had... Uh, <laughs> the marriage bed had enjoyed some activity that morning. So I was feeling quite good. I was feeling quite relaxed. I was feeling okay. And now I was sitting on a river fishing and there was this 22-year-old temptress with a, with, with a bottle of white rum stroking my arm, telling me things. And it was a very, very unusual scene because I knew, I knew what I looked like with this moustache. So I, I, was, I, was, um, I was about to use the word adroitly. I don't know what that word means, but it seemed like it might be, I was adroitly confused. I might need to look that up. I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's, if that's even nearly where it needs to be. But I was like, this, this woman, there's either something wrong with this woman or this woman has just drank way too much white rum.
and needs somewhere to sleep and needs somewhere someone to uh, to to look after or, or whatever but me being the good husband me being the faithful husband and and the good uh, and the good father um, it didn't go it didn't go anywhere under the bridge and then her phone rang and it, it was all still very friendly and then her phone rang and then she was getting calls from a, a, a fella that she had obviously been hanging out with during during the night and the the phone call quickly escalated into an argument uh, and it escalated into an argument about sex and withholding sex and who was entitled uh, to who was entitled to fellatio and who wasn't entitled to fellatio and under what terms fellatio would be granted and under what terms fellatio would not be granted and obviously the mood of my early morning fishing expedition had been altered uh, drastically and it was no longer a peaceful um, tranquil experience it had it had rapidly well like malcolm x it had transformed into another thing entirely another beast entirely it had transferred now into uh, a hostile slightly horny slightly frightening slightly uh, bizarre surreal situation that that wasn't particularly comfortable and the longer the phone conversation went on the more irate and the more salubrious the content of the conversation became salubrious that's two words I'm gonna have to look up More, the more vulgar the conversation became and the more adamant about who was entitled to what particular acts of sexual satisfaction were, were more heatedly argued and discussed. So I thought it would be uh, a good idea at this point to reel in the, the fishing line. Now I'm not a fisherman by the way. I don't I think the last time I fished might have been this this occasion. I think I might have been traumatized. I think I need to see Gabor Mate about how much trauma I went through on on this morning. So I began to pull in the 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 line. And I don't think I caught any leather jackets or or brim. And I was pulling in the line as this gorgeous woman was pacing up and down the jetty beneath the bridge. Um, arguing with this phantom caller about um, about about the sex acts that will, that that sounded like they had not enjoyed together. And I walked back to my car, and as I was walking back to my car, she spun around and said, "Are you leaving me? Are you leaving me?" And I hadn't, wasn't under the impression that we were a couple at that time or I had any, like, obligation. 
Um, but I just had to get out of there. That wasn't, I didn't want to hang around for that. And then I got my car with no fish in the bucket and, and drove home. Now, when you leave a fishing session, there is no better feeling than driving home with a bucket full of fish to take home to your family, to take home to your wife and children and say, hey, dinner tonight or lunch today. It's on, it's on dad, because I just went out to the oldest river in the world and caught some very old fish, and now we're going to nourish our, ourselves with the, the fruits of the river. Like, that's a very nice feeling. But one of the other nice feelings to have when you're in a, um, when you're in a relationship is to return to that relationship after a moment of temptation that you have passed, that is a good feeling. That's, that's, I, re, I think that is a better feeling than driving home with a, with a bucket full of fish. Driving home with a, a clean record on, on your fidelity chart is, is, um, is, is a really good feeling as well. Now, cut to two years later, um, I found myself no longer, no longer married and the need to be, uh, fidelious um, the words, the words are, uh, the words are causing some trouble today. Fidelious. I don't know if that's a word. Fidelity. What would be the, what would be Fidelious. Fidelity? Fidelious. We'll, we'll go with Fidelious. The need to be Fidelius. Fidelius. The need to be Fidelius was no longer, was no longer there. Uh, because you, if, you, if you are interested in fidelity, you need to have a partner to be uh, Fidelius too. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work out what this word should be, probably in about 17 hours from now. But by that time, this episode will be, will be on the... Uh, will be on the interweb, so it'll be too late. And I haven't got the post-production skills to, to come in and, and, and snip out Fidelius and put in something else. But there's no need for Fideliality, oh my lord. There's no need for it if there's no partner to be Fidelius too. So I found myself in the world of, of dating, of dating uh, apps. And two or three years later, I was began chatting with this woman online who I'd met through uh, a dating a dating app, and we were talking for. Sometimes you can be on a dating app and you can meet and you can you can organize to have a meeting within a day or two, or even a day, depends on on how uh, how everyone's feeling on how how both parties are are traveling. But sometimes you find yourself talking to a person for weeks before you organize um, a, a meeting. And I organized, this was one of those occasions where I was talking to someone for, for, uh, for weeks at a time, trying to organize uh, um, to organize a get-together, so to speak. 
And eventually, a meeting was organised. Both parties came to an agreement. Terms, terms were set. And when the woman turned up to the to the date, it was the same woman who a few years earlier had turned up to that bridge. It was the same woman who had turned up at 6.30 in the morning with a bottle of white rum at the lower bridge of the Calgon River and had tried to seduce me even though I had a pedophile moustache on. And I was fishing and she was vegan. So it's a, it's, it's a very nice feeling coming home with a bucket of fish. It's a very nice feeling coming home having passed a test of temptation, having passed a, a, uh, a test of your fidelity. But it's a magnificent feeling to have passed the test of fidelity and then three years later to then come back and without the constraints imposed upon you with fidelity to morally enjoy oh how am I going to put this maybe I won't put this maybe I won't, maybe I won't put this at all but you get the idea and that's the kind of stuff that happens uh, and when you when you're when you're messing around with an ancient river it's as if the things that occur around the banks of that river uh, have 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 meaning and maybe the river had something to do with it or maybe the river didn't have something to do with it I don't know if I was sitting outside a, a supermarket early in the morning with no one around and I was sitting by the side of a hairdresser's that was closed because it was so early and it was a Sunday and I was picking up uh, bumpers off the ground if I was picking up half-smoked cigarettes that someone had left behind the day before and had blown into the corner between the hairdressers and the bottle shop and if I was smoking if I was picking up those cigarettes and smoking them and had that woman have come past would she have gotten out with the half bottle of white rum or the third bottle of white rum? Whereas because we were on the river setting, there is just a slight difference to it. I was having a discussion with my eldest son, who's now 13, this morning, and he was thinking about uh, this school. He was thinking about school and how he... I gave him a day off today. Which I, which I've ne I never do. I never, I, oh, excuse me, I never ever give him a day off school. Like he has to be, he has to look like the guy in Robocop, the first original Robocop that fell in or the, to the vat of acid. He has to look like that to get a day off school. But there, there's, there's something in me that has changed a little bit, and I think maybe that's because he's, he's gotten, you know, he's thirteen. He's got hair on his legs. His, his feet are nearly as big as mine. Uh, 
He's wearing my clothes. And they kind of fit. They almost fit. Uh, when we drive in the car, he uh, he he wants to he he can he can change the gear stick. And then on the on the occasions when he uh, comes in in the morning, he jumps in the bed for a cuddle. It's like lying next to a, to a grown man. It's like I'm in a a gay relationship. There's this six foot child in the bed next to me uh who obviously isn't a child in any capacity anymore other than his relationship to me so i've I've got this i've basically got this i've got this young man and he he loves he he loves books he loves reading and he's 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 happy to if he was to spend a day for eight hours reading, he, he'd be happy to do that. So he's one of those guys. And we were starting to think about uh, homeschooling. Because what when I, well, not because when I was at school, but one of the reasons when I was going through high school, when I was in year 12, I was under enormous pressure and under enormous stress from all these elements at home at school we'd have these seminars called pathway seminars where they'd come and they'd come and tell you oh, if you want to be this then you have to do this if you want to do if you want to become that then you have to make sure you get this score if you want to go to that university well you need to have this score now my parents di ha, uh, didn't go to university uh, my mother left school when she was 12 years old and my father as far as I know because he is a quiet man he's like John Wayne in that in that Irish movie he left school I think when he was 15 or 16 and went to the equivalent of say a trade school and he became a mechanic uh, and he was a mechanic for he was a diesel diesel mechanic which are the mechanics that work on trucks and he was a diesel mechanic for well like for 50 years from the age of 15 to, to 65 uh, so there was there was no pr uh, precedent you know there was no Ah oh, well, Adam. I, you know, I've been to uni and I've done this and I've done that, and you don't really need to worry about your year twelve exams. There's plenty of ways up the mountain, which there are. Um, but my my folks didn't know that, and I didn't know that, and my folks' friends, my my parents' friends didn't know that. They they uh, they were all in the same in the same kind of field. One of my parents' friends. Uh, were curtain makers and my parents are both from Ireland and my mother almost like the Calgon Bridge goddess woman meeting that I had three years after my mother grew up with a woman one of her best friends was uh, her name was was Josephine and my mother emigrated to Ireland in 1988 to uh, Perth, Western Australia. And one day she went to Whitford City Gym, which was 
the shopping center in Hillary's, which is where we lived. And she was on the treadmill, or maybe she was lifting weights, or who knows what my mother was up to in the gym. And who should she see on the next treadmill or on the next weight bench? But her friend from Crumlin, Josephine. And Josephine was married to uh, Gunter. And together, Josephine and Gunter uh, had made a living making curtains and blinds for people. And another another set of friends that my parents had, uh, Colm and Phil, Colm, C-O-L-M, and Philomena. And they ran a carpet store up in Joondalup. I think it was Joondalup. And another of my parents' friends, Jim, and I can't remember his wife's name, and he had a cash converter store, which is which is in Australia. It's basically a pawn shop, a p p a w n shop. So this this was this was where this is where I was born into. So no one really knew how what the pathway was to to get from high school to uni and my parents were told the same thing i was told it's really really important that you get this score if you want to do that then you've got to get this you've got to reach this level if you want to do that you've got to reach that level and i think i i really don't want to think badly of the the teachers in the high school, because I don't think they knew any better either. But there was just this insane amount of pressure that basically said, if you want to do this with your life in the future, what you do right now in the next 12 months decides everything. And when you're 16, you believe it. When you're 16, you believe it. And if you're a parent of a 16-year-old, and as parents, you've, you've never finished high school, you've never been to uni, you believe it too. So as a, as a, as a kid, as a 16-year-old kid, you go to the school and you, you, get, you get in one ear, you get these teachers telling you, oh, if you want to do this, make sure you've got to get to this standard. And then... You, you get home and your parents are saying, hey, if you want to do that, you've got to get to that standard. And then when you go into your own uh, bedroom that you're lucky enough to have, your own bedroom to yourself, you're talking to yourself in both ears saying, Adam, if you want to do this, you have to get to this standard. And you just, it's, you pile pressure upon, pre you receive pressure and then you pile your own pressure. And I don't think... I don't think in my entire life, and I'm turning 40 next month. I'm turning 40 next month. And by no means have I had a, a traumatic existence. I haven't had a traumatic life. Uh, but as with anybody who's lived nearly 40 years, I have had my fair share of, of stress and uh, misery and sadness and pain and all that kind of stuff. But I honestly don't think, including a marriage breakdown, I honestly don't think I've ever been more stressed in my life than I was when I did my final year of high school.
I honestly don't think I was ever more stressed. So on the way home, I picked my son up from school and on the way home, he was asking me about uh, about the about the marks that he might need to get into university because my son is thinking about at the moment now he's only 13 so what he's thinking right now what he might want to become that could turn into any that could that could turn into anything usually the thing that you want to become when you're 13 is not the same thing that you want to become when you're 18 or 28 or 38 so that could change multiple times multiple times but he was he was basically out, he was he, it sounded like he was feeling the waters of do i need to do my university subjects at at high school cuz it it it's it feels like a lot of stress and a lot of worry and I was very grateful to be able to say to him, "No, you don't. You need. You don't need to stress, or you don't need to worry, unless unless you want to get into, say, like law, or if you want to get into a, a medical field. Because at the moment he wants to be either uh, an editor or he wants to be a writer, which essentially means he just needs to go and get himself an arts degree or an English degree or a, a history degree or a philosophy degree." So there's no need for there's no need for stress at all. Now in Australia you can also not do any university subjects. You can leave high school and a year later you can go to the university and do a year bridging course. Now I I teach part of that bridging course right now at the university. And I think my 13-year-old son could pass the aspect that I teach of that course. He'd be able to pass that already. And then we got onto the subject of homeschooling. Because I remember, and it was probably, it was probably now that I think about it, it was probably more due to the stress of that final year. I hated it. I hated school with a vengeance. With a vengeance, I hated it. And I began to hate, I began to hate the school itself, the teachers, the other students. And it just all felt so, it just felt so fake and uh, redundant and silly. Silly is the word. It just felt silly. And I resented being treated like a child when I was 16, even though at 16 in, in many in many aspects you still are a child. But I do remember seething that I had to ask permission to go to the toilet. That I had to ask permission to leave a room to get something that I might need in the course of a day. That I had to go and sit in one particular space and eat uh, lunch for 10 minutes. And then I had to wait for a bell or a siren before I could move again and either walk around or go and sit down and read or go to the library or play basketball or whatever. It was just regimented. It was like a prison. I mean, it was like a prison. It was like a prison without the without the rape and battery. 
but I remember just having this disdain for it. And and I'm and I'm watching my son now go or approach the same kind of age. He's three years away from 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 where I was, from from where that memory comes from. And all I remember was that it was just so unnecessary. I didn't need to, I didn't need to endure any of that. And the course that I ended up doing at university, which was a philosophy course, I needed, I needed like a 50% score. And if I wanted to be a dentist or, or a veterinarian or a lawyer, I needed like a 90, but I didn't want to be a, a, a nurse, a, a vet or a lawyer or uh, I I just I just wanted to study philosophy, and and I could have got into philosophy with a, with a you know a fifty two percent, but for some reason, in the madness in the madness of it all, and the madness and the panic of it all, because you don't want to get it wrong, and there's this great fear of your peers getting it right and going ahead of you. Is that such a like that petty crabs in a bucket kind of a feeling? I wanted to go to uni. I wanted to get some kind of qualification, and I wanted to do it. I want. I didn't want to fall behind my peers. There was a there was a there was a competition there, in 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 my head. Maybe I put all the stress on myself. But it was nice to be able to turn around to my son and say, "You don't need to stress about this." But then there's a part of me that thinks maybe he needs to stress about it. Maybe it's good for him to stress. Maybe it's good for him to suffer. Maybe it's good for him to go through, well, like I'm saying, like the most intense stress ever. And that either speaks to the privileged life that we have here in Western Australia, or that speaks to the insanity of, of the school system. That I that I would I would probably would say is not just exclusive to Western Australia. And, and my and my eldest son, as 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 is my youngest son, are they're very socialized humans. They're very very socialized humans, and they've they've been they've been at school. Well, they've co collectively they've probably been at school for close to twenty years between them, and they've got a very good foundation on being able to learn and being able to take things in. So then you have to just look back and think, well, what's he missing out on today? Because as I said, I gave him a day off school today, and the condition that he stayed home was that he had to read The Invisible Man. And if you haven't read The Invisible Man, it's actually about a, uh, it's actually about a black man in Harlem, which again gets, gets us right back to Malcolm X, the audio book, under the oldest, under the bridge, under the oldest river, in the world, apparently, the life of transformation. The Invisible Man is about a black man in Harlem. So I consider, well, what should I do? 
Should I send him to school where he has to go to a science lesson for 45 minutes and sit in rows, sit in rows with 20, 25 other children who are dressed identically to how he's dressed? And then a, a bell goes, a siren goes, and then he goes to maths class and he has to pick up all his gear, put it all in his backpack, sling his backpack like Sisyphus over his shoulder and carry that to the maths room and sit in an identical classroom in identical rows surrounded by other children who are dressed identically as he is and then they wait for the next siren and then they have 20 minutes to eat and then there's another siren and then he goes into history class And he has to put his backpack on his back like Sisyphus and walk down the hill to the history room. And then they sit for 45, 50 minutes in the history room. Wait for the siren in rows, identical rows, identical clothes. So on and so on and so on. Or he can stay at home and read The Invisible Man for the day. <laughs> 